In today's collect, that's the prayer right after the Gloria and right before the Epistle. In today's collect, we beg God to make us partakers of heavenly goods. Now, last week, we were speaking of just that, being partakers of the divine nature. And this week, we're praying for that in the collect of the Mass. And if you notice, also, we refer to it in the secret and the post-communion. What was another name for partaker of the divine nature? It's sanctifying grace. Last week, we learned six things about sanctifying grace. First off, it's completely above and beyond our nature. It's totally supernatural. Second off, it's necessary to make it possible for us to get to and to live in heaven. Third off, it's a free gift of God. Fourth, it's a created share in God's own life. Fifth, it fills the soul with inexpressible spiritual beauty. And sixth, it's absolutely priceless. So we need sanctifying grace. We need it to get to and to live in heaven. But that's not all we need grace for. St. Thomas points out that Adam only needed grace for eternal life. But that we need grace for eternal life. And we need grace to remit our sins. And we need grace to support our weaknesses. The more clearly we grasp this, the more clearly we'll see exactly what the role of grace is in our life, and the more clearly we'll understand what the purpose of the Catholic Church is and what we're doing here. So in order to get a very clear understanding of just exactly what we need grace for, today we'll take a quick look at Adam's condition before the fall, when he was in the state of original justice, and to do that we'll follow St. Thomas Aquinas but because of time, we'll only hit the high points. The state of original justice. The state of original justice was a state in which Adam and then later Eve were created. Why is it called the state of original justice? Well, it's called original because it starts at the origin of man, and you just can't get any more original than that, can you? Why is it called justice? It's because everything was justly ordered from the beginning. Nature was unfallen and orderly, and in the state of original justice, so was Adam and all his gifts. He had incredible gifts. We'll take a brief look at his gifts. The gifts of Adam. First gifts pertaining to his intellect. Since Adam was created as an adult and the head of the human race, he had infused knowledge. What does that mean? It means that God poured into Adam's intellect all the natural knowledge that the intellect can know by its own power. What does that mean? It means that Adam was a super, super genius. It doesn't mean that Adam knew everything, though. St. Thomas, quote, Those things which cannot be known by merely human effort and which are not necessary for the direction of human life were not known by the first man such as the thoughts of other men, future contingent events, and some individual facts, as, for instance, the number of pebbles in a stream and the like. Close quote, St. Thomas. So naturally speaking, Adam knew everything it's possible to know, except for trivia. Bring a rock to him. 
He could tell you exactly what minerals it was made out of, what they were good for, and how to extract them. Point out a plant to him. He could tell you all the medicinal uses for it, what its nutritional value was, and so forth. Why? Because he had this infused knowledge. Now compare that. Just think of all the strain and sweat that scientists go through trying to discover or uncover some fact about nature. You could just ask Adam. He already knew, and he knew it without any doubt or error. He didn't have to do an experiment. He was a genius, not by his own effort, but because of his dignity. Because of his dignity as head of the human family, he was responsible to teach and govern. Because he was created as an adult and had no time to learn, and because he was the first man with no one to teach him, God created him with all this infused knowledge. So Adam had absolutely incredible natural knowledge, but that's not all he knew. Quote, because the life of man is directed to a supernatural goal, the first man was given as much knowledge of these supernatural truths as was necessary for him to obtain heaven. Close quote, St. Thomas. So Adam is a super, super genius. With respect to his knowledge about nature, he knew everything it was possible to know. With respect to his knowledge about supernatural truths, he knew everything it was necessary to know to get to heaven and to teach his offspring how to get to heaven. But that's not all. There's one more huge intellectual difference between Adam's knowledge and ours, between the way Father Adam thought and the way we, his damaged descendants, think. Because of original justice, his reason, his intellect, had perfect control over all his other powers. So what? Well, that means that he couldn't be blinded or misled by his passions. He wasn't forgetful. His imagination wouldn't wander, and it couldn't confuse him. There wasn't a single thing that could cause error or confusion in Adam's reason or judgment. Now just think about that. We can only imagine it, because we're certainly not going to experience that sort of thing in this life. Think of what it means, though. Adam couldn't make mistakes or be deceived. So Adam was a super, super genius, loaded down with intellectual gifts, both naturally and supernaturally, he couldn't make an intellectual mistake or even be deceived. Now what about gifts of his will? First off, what's the will? The will is the intellectual appetite. It's called an appetite because it always desires something good. It's a spiritual power and an atom of power of his soul, just like us, by which he could choose a good. How does it work? The intellect presents something to the will as being good, and then the will can choose it. But since it's free, it doesn't have to choose anything in this life. Of course, that's the whole drama of our life, isn't it? Now, unlike us, Adam's will had no weakness. It didn't waver. When he willed to do something, he really willed it. When he willed to do something, he gave his full consent to the act with no hesitation. We've already seen how incredibly powerful his intellect was, so we know that his intellect could not mistakenly present something as good that was actually evil. He had to know. Now, why does that matter? Well, think about the conditions necessary to commit a mortal sin. It has to be a grievous matter, 
committed with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will. Okay, now think about Adam committing a sin. Would he realize that his action was serious? Remember that his knowledge couldn't be mistaken. So not only would he realize his action was serious, he would realize exactly and precisely how very serious his action was. And so he would necessarily have sufficient reflection. So he would know exactly what he was doing. And then, as we've seen, when he willed something, when he really willed it, it gave full consent of his will. In other words, if Adam sinned, he would have to sin with malice. He would not sin with weakness. Adam's a super, super genius, loaded down with intellectual gifts, both natural and supernatural order. He couldn't make an intellectual mistake or be deceived. When he willed something, he gave it his unhesitating full consent. But like the angels, he was free and he could sin. And you don't need me to tell you that he did. His state of grace. Adam's soul was filled with sanctifying grace. But in addition to that supernatural life, God also gave the state of original justice to Adam, as we've seen. Why did God give him the state of original justice? So that he could easily, easily obtain eternal life. St. Thomas lists three aspects of the state of original justice. First, Adam's body was perfectly subject to his soul. Second, the lower powers of Adam's soul were perfectly subject to right reason. Third, Adam's reason was perfectly subject to God. So his body was perfectly subject to his soul. The lower powers of his soul, like his passions and emotions, were completely obedient to right reason. And his reason was completely obedient to God. Now all this was due to grace, not nature. Otherwise, he wouldn't have lost these gifts by the original sin. Sin doesn't destroy anything that belongs to man by nature. As St. Thomas points out, even the demons kept their natural powers after they sinned. Adam's dominion. Quote, In the state of innocence, man had mastership over the animals by commanding them. But his mastership over plants and inanimate things consisted not in commanding them, but in making use of them without hindrance. Close quote, St. Thomas. So the animals would obey him. And we see this sometimes reflected in some of the extraordinary saints, like St. Anthony. You see that. Or St. Francis, when he is preaching and the birds would obey him. His body. Of course, we all know that Adam is created as an adult, fit for the generation of children. He's created in absolutely perfect health, free from sickness, suffering, disease, and death. He had a series of gifts that preserved and protected his body. The gift of integrity. We've already looked at that. That gave Adam the ability to perfectly govern his body and his passions under the rule of right reason. That's the gift of integrity. The gift of immortality. As we all know, if Adam hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have had to die. And neither would have he, of course. The gift of impassibility. This preserved Adam from all suffering. St. Thomas points out that Adam was able to avoid harm partly to his own use of reason, by which he could naturally avoid anything harmful, and partly by divine protection, which God would so protect him that no harm would come upon him unexpectedly. 
Now that's a really brief look at Adam in a state of original justice. What have we seen? We've seen that the first man, Father Adam, was a sort of super superman. He was an incredible genius with respect to his knowledge about nature. He knew everything it was possible to know with respect to knowledge of supernatural truths. He knew everything it was necessary to know to get himself to heaven and to teach his offspring how to get to heaven. He couldn't make an intellectual mistake or be deceived. He had an unbending will so that when he willed something, he gave his decision full consent with absolutely no holding back. His body was perfectly subject to his soul. The lower powers of his soul were perfectly subject to his right reason, and his reason was perfectly subject to God. He's totally virtuous. Animals obeyed him, and he could use plants and minerals with no hindrance. He had perfect health. He was immortal. He couldn't suffer. And, except for his infused knowledge, all these gifts and graces were meant to be passed on to his children, as long as he didn't sin. Thanks a lot, Adam. Now that's the state of original justice. That's what it was actually like back in the good old days. This week, let's all spend some time thinking about the state of original justice and the amazing gifts and graces God poured down upon our father Adam. After we've done that, then let's think about how far man has fallen and how horrible original sin really was. We should think about the consequences for all history of one mortal sin. We all need to really soak this in. And then we need to really consider what kind of a man God had to send in to do the job and repair what Adam had broken. We should think about the stature of the man that God sent to replace Adam. Just spend some time today in Mass here reflecting on who, who, on who the new Adam is and thanking God for sending him to save us.